Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. I rise today on behalf of the people across our nation seeking access to abortion care. While there are many forces and people at work who seek to spread lies and misinformation, let me set the record straight. Abortion care is routine medical care. Abortion care is safe. Abortion care is a fundamental human right. Abortion care is health care. And one in four women in this country seek it. If you ever wanted to know whether or not there are some radicals in Congress, look no further than Representative Ayanna Presley, who is no longer engaged in the conversation of safe, rare, and legal, but in the conversation of abortion care is a fundamental human right. Abortion care, like gender-affirming care. I guess if you add care to it, then it, it really, it's really important. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Guys, good to be with you. Find everything, TonyKatz.Locals.com. TonyKatz.Locals.com. Representative Presley on a tear. Like a, a three-minute speech there on, on the floor of the house where she is just laying it all out. Abortion is just fine, and if you're opposed to abortion, you're the enemy, and oh, by the way, judges are bad. Now, for those of you who pay attention, you will note that the the progressives, uh, the Democratic Party, is often huge fans of the courts because the courts were usually on their side. And whenever there was a problem, they'd go to the court and say, oh, well, the court decided, I guess that's the way it is. I have argued and argued repeatedly that courts are created by Congress. The only court prescribed in the Constitution is the Supreme Court. Every other court can be created or dismantled at any time. And we have seen far too many activist judges. Now, maybe this is a conversation of, well, I like it, so it's fine. I don't like it, so it's an activist judge. But we are now having a conversation about where states are with abortion because of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Yes, it made things much more messy. And certainly, there are many members of the Republican Party who were not prepared for what came next. And yes, it did play to a larger degree than I ever thought it would in the 2022 election. But I want you to understand exactly how incredibly radical Representative Ayanna Presley is on this and listen to how she goes about trying to dismantle this judge. Why? Because they were Trump appointed. I'll get uh, to that. I want to discuss in this first part that when she says abortion care is a fundamental human right, what does that actually mean? First, she is making the statement that the baby is not human. There is no right for the baby. She proves that later on. I'll get to it. But the conversation of fundamental human right, you you guys know that that I oppose all of these types of statements. A fundamental human right, the concept of human rights. Human rights is a conversation used by progressives and activists and and, and Marxist communists. Uh, And yes, yes, I mean it. And I can actually defend uh, the terminology. It's to set the idea that you have no say. The problem is, in order to have an abortion, one has to 
well, assumingly go somewhere to someone who knows how to perform one. Otherwise, you'd be talking about back alley abortions and the whole conversation about coat hangers. And that's that's pretty ugly, awful stuff, just like abortion is. But it's stating that someone has to provide the abortion. Now, they may argue, well, we've got Planned Parenthood. We have plenty of people who will provide abortions. At least that would be an argument to acknowledge that that's Planned Parenthood's business. They are in the business of abortions. But anytime you, you, you get into this about human rights, it's like, it's like when Bernie Sanders says healthcare is a human right. You're saying that the doctor is a slave. The doctor has to provide the health care. If health care is a human right, the, the, the health care has to be provided to you when you need it, as you need it. Therefore, the person who provides the health care lives at your whim, at your beck and call. How is that not a slave? I don't know how you make the argument that that is not a call for slavery. That was part one of Ayanna Presley. Let's get into part two. Over 40% of abortion care in this nation is medication abortion, a simple and safe protocol where patients are prescribed two medications to end a pregnancy. A single man, a far-right Trump-appointed judge in Texas, stands to make a decision that could strike down the FDA's approval of one of these drugs and restrict access to care to millions. A frightening precedent. Imagine for a moment if a judge was poised to strike down access to another safe and effective drug routinely used as part of medical care, like Tylenol or Advil. We would call it out for exactly what it is, inappropriate overreach. If we're comparing abortion medication to Tylenol, Representative Presley, you've lost the argument. Completely and totally, even amongst the people who might be sympathetic to your cause, Tylenol is different than abortion medications. The judge in Texas, Amarillo, Texas, oh, I think I pronounce his last name Kazmarek. District Judge Matt Kazmarek, he's going to be deciding this case about, uh, I believe it's pronounced Mifpristone. I could be pronouncing it wrong. She actually gets into it. I, I will... I will uh, explain why it's important that what drug she's discussing, but even Slate has written an article, actually one Texas judge is not the final decision maker on medication abortion, and they go into the story from, from there. But the idea that she's going to sit there, well, stand there, and make that claim, abortion medications or medication abortion. Well, it's just the same as Tylenol or Advil. And if you were to ban Tylenol or Advil, you'd call it overreach. Do you know, do you know how far gone you have to be? Or maybe said differently, do you know how absolutely unafraid you are of being told you're out of your mind? We have seen that abortion has played the part of religion in far too much of America. And when Roe v. Wade was overturned, people were stunned and shocked, stunned and shocked because they believed, because they had been told it for multiple generations, that abortion was sacrosanct. The Second Amendment, which is in the Constitution, that could be changed. But abortion, which was a poorly decided decision with Roe v. Wade, that can never, ever be touched. And then it got touched and people went out of their minds because their religion 
was taken from them. This, this reason for being the most important thing in the world, not free speech, not the right to keep and bear arms, not to be safe in, in your person or in your papers, not a, a, a speedy trial nor cruel nor unusual punishment. No, 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 none of that stuff. That stuff doesn't matter at all. Abortion, which is nowhere within the Constitution, that was fundamental. What an absolutely incredible thing to hear. And if you want to know exactly how radical, you now know, she continues. Overreach that will cause harm. Mifepristone was first approved by the FDA more than 20 years ago and has since been used by more than 5 million people to safely end their pregnancies, both in their homes and at health centers. Earlier this year, following dedicated advocacy by myself, my colleagues and advocates across our nation, the Biden administration permanently lifted in-person dispensing requirements for mifepristone, allowing retail pharmacies to stock the medication and further expand access to medication abortion. This medication is safe and necessary. Not only should abortion care be available, but what type of abortion care a patient receives should be decided between a patient and their doctor, not some partisan court. I believe that whether a person takes a vaccine for COVID should be between a patient and a doctor and not between an overzealous government or overzealous CEOs who demand you take a shot in order to have a career. I would also uh, state very, very clearly, if we're going to be going down the line of, of vaccination requirements, that anytime someone decides this is not for them, they don't have to do it. They don't have to take that medicine. This is the argument that Representative Ayanna Presley is making. What about those parents out there who don't want to vaccinate their children? What do I think? I think they're wrong. I do think they're wrong. And there's a conversation about what we do with kids different than what adults do. But there's a tremendous, tremendous amount of spin here. The argument about this, this case in Texas is that this uh, mefeprestone, I, I, I didn't pronounce it properly at first. I'll take uh, Representative Presley's pronunciation of it. Is FDA approved? The people at Slate want you to know that it's safe for them penicillin or Viagra. I don't think the argument is whether or not it's safe for the person to ingest. I think the argument is what it does to the person inside the person who ingests it. Isn't that clearly the conversation? The argument here is that Roe v. Wade was overturned. We, the political left, are outraged by the idea that a poorly decided court decision was overturned, and rightfully so, uh, just like Plessy versus Ferguson uh, was overturned, just like the court made bad decisions, a la Dred Scott. The court is not always perfect. The court makes mistakes, and the court should correct itself. So the argument should really not be that the FDA was wrong in approving the medicine. Because that would mean that the FDA should get itself involved in the conversation of whether or not you should take the medicine. And I don't actually want that from the Food and Drug Administration. And I, I, I must, I, I would only assume you don't want it either. This is about what the state of Texas would want and certainly what uh, states across the nation would want. If the case in question would be to say to the FDA, 
you can't allow this. So as, as it's written, and again, I know it's slate, I know it's very left-leaning, but I specifically went to something that was left-leaning to be able to help make my point. Even if Judge uh, Kaczmarek forgoes this pr- process and rules that the FDA's approval was unlawful and that Mifeprestone is now deemed a drug without approval, he cannot force the FDA to enforce the decision because the FDA does not have the capacity to enforce its statute against every non-approved product on the market. It has long been settled law, decided back in 1985, that the agency has broad enforcement enforcement discretion, meaning the agency, not courts, get to decide if and when to enforce the statute. Now, there could be a political argument uh, about that, a legal argument uh, uh, about that. But certainly it would fit in the conversation of exactly how radical the agency class is. I talk about the four branches of government. You've got the legislative, you've got the executive, you've got the judicial, and then you have the agencies. And I have people saying to me, well, the agencies are filled with people who are uh, put there by those you vote for. So maybe you should vote differently, Tony. <laughs> it's still wrong. Agencies that are are not accountable to anybody, that have these massive budgets, and when they write something, it has the full effect of law? That's nut stuff, and we shouldn't allow it. So if, if, if this judge wants to make the claim that mifeprestone was a drug with actually, actually that never got FDA approval, that's pretty interesting. But it could be indeed toothless if the FDA doesn't actually have to listen to it and there is no mechanism forcing the FDA to listen to the court. If the FDA doesn't have to listen to a court, doesn't that show that the agency branch of government is far too powerful? So watching this case is is pretty fascinating. But Ayanna Presley wraps it up in a rather ugly bow. At a time when abortion access is already out of reach for millions after the fall of Roe, taking Mifepristone off the market would further compromise abortion access across the country, including in states where the right to an abortion is protected, like my home state of Massachusetts. This case is another emboldened right-wing judge trying to take away our bodily autonomy. Again, Mifepristone... Hold on. Hold on. Can I go back and share that part again? Abortion access across the country, including in states where the right to an abortion is protected. The right to keep and bear arms is protected by the Second Amendment. Yet if I go to Massachusetts, I can't carry my firearm. Your move, Representative Presley. If your argument is a judge in Texas, a district court judge in Texas, cannot make decisions that affect the people of Massachusetts because they allow this kind of thing, why is Massachusetts allowed to affect my right to keep and bear arms? Why is New York... If I'm traveling with a firearm and I, and I declare the firearm and I check it in my luggage and I'm flying to North Carolina where I'm allowed to carry a firearm, I, th- I think I am with my, with my license. Um, I'm using it as an example. And the plane gets diverted to New York. You know I could be arrested in New York. I didn't plan to go to New York. It, it was nowhere in my travel plans. But the plane got diverted. I showed up with a firearm. I go to jail. So I ask you, Why should I go to jail when I have the Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms? So if her argument is a judge can't do this because Massachusetts is okay with it, then I would ask why I can't carry a firearm in Massachusetts because I believe I should be able to right now.
Let's get back to her. Like my home state of Massachusetts, this case is another emboldened right-wing judge trying to take away our bodily autonomy. Again, Mifepristone is safe. It is effective. For people across our nation who are seeking care, you can go to abortionfinder.org to navigate how to get the medical care which you seek. This is a deeply volatile and hostile time to be a person in America in need of reproductive health care. But I will never stop pressing for our our full humanity and bodily autonomy. My body, my choice. Your body, your choice. Thank you. Well, thank you, Representative Presley. But you missed something in there, everybody. And I'm going to point it out to you. I said they are emboldened, the progressives. And it's a radicalness. You missed this line. Hostile time to be a person in America in need of reproductive health care. It's a hostile time. I'll play it again. This is a deeply volatile and hostile time to be a person in America in need of reproductive health care. A person in need of reproductive health care? You mean a woman in, in need of reproductive health care, right? That's what you mean. You mean a woman. You mean an actual woman, not a man claiming they're a woman, but she specifically and purposefully uses the word person as if somehow that's rational too. It's an incredible talk she gave in the House of Representatives. It's an incredible full-throated defense for abortion, recreational abortion. You should be able to have an abortion anytime you want for any reason whatsoever. Stop it, everyone. That's her take. Oh, and by the way, uh, you, you can also have an abortion uh, if, if, if you're not a woman. Her words, not mine. You want to know how radical some of these people are? She just told you. We'll keep an eye on that Texas case. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. Now our task is to navigate our economy's transition from rapid recovery to sustainable growth. Our administration's top economic priority remains bringing down inflation. We've seen some moderation in headline inflation, but more work needs to be done. Our administration will continue to build on the actions we've taken to expand supply and provide cost relief in areas like energy and health care. These actions have made a meaningful difference for American families. Janet Yellen is fooling absolutely nobody, and Janet Yellen knows she's fooling absolutely nobody. And it doesn't matter how she sits there uh, in front of us. Is that a Senate panel or a House panel? I don't even remember. But it's it's unserious. The actions taken by the Biden administration on the economy have made a meaningful difference in American families. Inflation is down? No. I mean, Biden may be talking about how it's down, down, down. I'll get into that. But it's not down. It's not. It's an unserious conversation. You have to literally work at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue or actually have the last name Biden to believe that everything is good. It's not good. It's not good, people. And this this jobs report, as, as we've been discussing it, it, it it's I, I like the idea of more jobs. This is not really telling a great story, as we've seen. And as for Biden's budget, 
I'll get into that next with Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. This is Tony Katz Today. And that's what brings us to down to everyday cost. How much do things cost? It's not just whether inflation. We brought down inflation seven months in a row. We're going to whip it. But we brought down inflation seven months in a row, says President Biden yesterday, as he's announcing his budget, a budget that is filled with tax increases and the claim that there will be a $3 trillion reduction in the deficit over the next decade. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Dr. Matt Will joins us, economist at the University of Indianapolis. He's traveling, he's actually in the Vancouver airport. As we're speaking, you can hear overhead, they're telling him where to go for his luggage. And I gotta tell you, this this comes out, this, this, this all comes out about his budget. The stock market falls apart down over 500 points it went yesterday. Um, there is a lot to this budget that leaves a tremendous amount of questions. And it starts with the first one. This make any sense to you? Tony, it, the budget makes complete sense to me, but it doesn't. It's not consistent with what the president was saying. I'm going to call this the big lie. I mean, that's what he's doing with this budget. And Tony, I got to say, your sound clip was perfect because you got to remember, the president first created this hyperinflation that we experienced, and then he brags about the fact that it's now in you know lower than he created it. It's still way too high, Tony. But first, he jacks it up super high. Then it comes down a little bit. Tony, last year, he spent so much money. We had a $1.4 trillion deficit. $1.4 trillion in one year, Tony. Oh, and now he says he's going to reduce it over 10 years. Tony, it's the same kind of lie that we've seen before from this guy. So talk to me about what is in here, because he clearly is saying that, hey, if you make over $400,000 a year, you don't deserve it. This whole conversation of fair share is really playing out here, and it plays in two parts. It, well, actually three. A conversation about increasing Medicare taxes, a conversation about tax increases on people who make over 400000 and then a conversation about capital gains and corporate taxes. So let's start with the Medicare piece uh, that he wants uh, to increase. This is a small increase from 3.8% to 5%. Uh, is this going to solve our Medicare woes? Tony, first of all, it's, it's not a small increase. Think about it. Your income taxes are going up from about 38 to 5%. I'm talking about Tony, compared to the small. other stuff, Dr. Will. Compared to the other stuff, it's the small increase. <laughs> there's, there's, there's increases across the board, Tony. So, no, by the way, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security are transfer payments. There is no bucket of money sitting around. It's, a, it's, it's all paper magic. That's all it is. There's a bucket of money that comes in. There's a bucket of money that goes out. And if anybody thinks there's a savings account somewhere for Medicare or for Social Security, they're just wrong. There isn't a, there isn't a bucket of money sitting somewhere. So it doesn't fix anything, Tony. In fact, let me tell you how much it doesn't fix anything. You know, we'll get to the taxes in a moment, but the deficit last year, $1.4 trillion. This guy who's supposedly decreasing it, this year it's going to be $1.6 trillion, and next year it's going to be $1.8 trillion. Tony, let's just look at this. 
1.8 is bigger than 1.4. Everybody should write that down. 1.8 is bigger than 1.4. So somebody needs to tell me how he's cutting the deficit, and I'll explain to you what he's doing. What is so? No, is. but 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 do it because it 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 is so much so a a shell game of how you want to manipulate a number. If there, if you say there's going to be some some less spending, you can argue that that you're cutting, can't you, Tony? It, it, there is no less spending. See, that's the whole point. It is the big lie, and the media is complicit in the lie. Because let me explain how he gets $3 trillion over 10 years. He's comparing it to his budget from last year, Tony. He's looking at the, the significant increase he had last year, and the significant increase he has this year is smaller. Tony, in his budget, we go from a $9 trillion, $19 trillion debt to $44 trillion. Tony, let me say that again. We go from $19 trillion in debt to $44 trillion in debt in his budget. So I guess, Tony, we would have went to 47 if it weren't for him. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. Uh, Let's get into that part two. There is a raise in income taxes going back up to the the 39.8% number. uh, Wait, is that where it is in the income tax, or am I thinking about the corporate gains tax? That's where it's going to go. That's where it's going to go to 39%, correct. Okay, so that increases on people who make over $400,000 a year. Uh, Do you believe that it's only going to be that level of income? Okay, Tony, first of all, I don't believe it, and I'll show you a whole list of other taxes that hit every single person out there, all the way down to grandma who's living on a fixed income. Yes, in theory, this is only going to be on 39. But, Tony, can we trust him? Let me, let me ask you if we can trust him. And, and i got to give you an example, so give me a minute to explain this. Sure. Last year, he successfully passed a 1% tax on any stock buybacks. So if grandma sells some stock to live to buy cat food and, and play bingo at church, she had to pay a 1% penalty. And he said last year that would be a one-time only. We would never do it again. This is a stopgap measure. We want to get some money into the Treasury. Tony, this year he wants to increase grandma's tax to 3%. Tony, he's lied. He wants to increase it from 1% to 3%. So do you believe that this would be a, a tax only on people making 400000 And it now, doesn't, Tony, because it has to do with small businesses as well. Now, so wait a, a lot second. More to it than what he's saying. I want to make sure I understand what you're saying there, because you're talking about if grandma sells stock. There's also a conversation on corporate stock buybacks that he wants to go That's from the 1% to the 4%. Uh, the 1% came part of the Inflation Reduction Act, which doesn't reduce inflation. Are we talking about the same thing? Yes, that is the same thing. That is exactly it. But the reason it's called a stock buyback, Tony, and, and this, it's, it's kind of complicated, but companies can give you their profits two ways. They can get, send you a dividend check or they can buy back stock. Companies do both, and, and we won't get into why they do one or the other. That's a long discussion. But they're just buying back the stock from grandma or they're paying her a dividend. Either way, she's paying this tax. It was Rashida Tlaib who was uh, asking the, the, the questions, and she was trying to get Jerome Powell um, to... Well, let me play it for you, and you tell me what you take from this. Thank you so much, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Chair Powell, for being here. Uh, you have a lot of economic, you know, pro- uh, projections, economic projections, uh, various data, um, various uh, reports that are coming out. 
how much, and you've studied inflation, right? I mean, obviously, it's your number one priority right now. How much is inflation impacted by these three things? Corporate profiteering, executive, egregious executive pay, and the use of share, you know, stock buybacks. So she invents these things which are progressive talking points. Uh, But if you're saying that the corporate buyback, the stock buyback, is the way someone like grandma can continue to survive as her age progresses, you have a representative here, Rashida Tlaib, who says that's a bad thing. How do you respond to her? Tony, she's ignorant. She is clueless. A company makes profits. They can either pay it out as a dividend, or they can buy back stock. It's simple as that. And a lot of retirees have stock, and that's how they live, Tony. And the companies have stock splits, and the, comp- and the individuals sell their stock back to the company. Tony, this is, not the owner of the, this is not the CEO of the company selling stock to the company or back to the company. That's not what's happening. This is the average shareholder who's got a retirement plan, a pension plan, a mutual fund, they're the ones who get that money. They're the ones who are paying that tax. She is factually wrong. Let's now move it to this capital gains conversation. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, in travels right now at the Vancouver International Airport. That's You hear the overhead uh, speaking uh, a bit behind him. Increasing the capital gains tax from 20% to 39.6% on households earning more than $1 million a year. Your take. Okay, again, a little bit complication. First of all, it's just a money grab. But let me tell you what that does. It messes up the incentives for business. Because the 2017 tax code removed the incentives for a company to borrow money. There's a, there's a reason why. There's tax deductibility. There's all these reasons why it's good for companies to borrow money. They removed it. This is going to reinstate the incentive for companies to borrow money. It's going to reinstate the, the incentive for companies to leverage up and borrow money and put their companies at risk. This change would incentivize bad behavior by companies. How does it do that? Because it's going to, it's going to make something tax deductible. And when you increase the tax rate on something that's equity investment, they're going to want to go over to debt investments. Capital gains are go to shareholders. Shareholders pay that, Tony. A shareholder pays the capital gains tax. So if that goes up, the company's going to say, well, we don't want to have shareholders. Instead, we're just going to borrow money. We're going to leverage our company. So it's better off for them to take the debt on than to have to deal with the tax side uh, with, with more people buying their stock. Yes, it, it, there's, there's a formula involved because you pay capital gains tax, ordinary income tax, and corporate taxes. And there's a formula for says, how do we maximize the cash in our pocket? And this change would say, hey, you're going to maximize the cash in your pocket by borrowing money. That is a, not a good incentive. The tax code was rewritten by smart people in 2017 to remove that incentive. So how does this... Um how, how does it play out? How are these businesses now at risk? Or, or may, maybe better said, what does this risk do to the inflationary world that we have, where we have people like former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers and others really discussing the idea that we're going to hit recession in order to bring down this inflation? Does it make that continue to grow? Does this lead us into a further stagflation conversation? Can, or, does, or does this have no effect on those other properties, other, other ideas? It has, Tony, it has a huge effect. In fact, that's why the market dropped 500 points yesterday, because 
first we had Jerome Powell saying, hey, inflation's not dead. We're going to have to get tougher. And then Biden comes out and says, hey, we're going to spend a lot more money. And so remember the battle we keep talking about, Tony, between Biden wanting to spend money and cause inflation and Powell trying to stop it? Well, one-two punch, Biden says, spend, spend, spend. And so he's trying to create more inflation. Tony, every, even the most liberal economist in the world says this is not the time in an economic cycle to spend more money. There is an argument that increasing taxes could actually help with inflation because it takes money out of the economy. We've actually discussed it on the air. One of the things Joe Biden is proposing, a 25% minimum tax rate for U.S. households worth more than $100 million. Now, these people are already paying taxes. How does this apply differently than the progressive tax rate that we have that would put you at 39.7%? Tony, that is something that we do not know because that is going to be done like Nancy Pelosi says. First you pass the bill, then you read what's in it. That's going to be in the rulemaking stage. Nobody can figure out, Tony, how they're going to charge a 25% tax on people that are already paying tax on income and already pay a capital gains tax. This is going to be a minimum tax, Tony. What are they going to tax it on? My guess, Tony, ready for this? My guess is going to be a wealth tax. That's how I think it's going to be played out. I think this 25% is going to be a wealth tax. So the government is going to come in, and if you're rich, they're just going to confiscate your wealth. So this entire conversation... As, as we take a, a look at this budget, one of the things that we accept is, okay, Joe Biden, Democrat, puts out this budget. I have seen presidential budgets get zero votes. Barack Obama, when he was president of the United States, his budget at times got zero votes. The Republicans control the purse strings. They control the House of Representatives. And the only thing I think they're going to like from this budget is an increase in military spending. It'll be the largest amount of peacetime military spending in our history. Republicans are going to respond to this by doing what? Tony, it's dead on arrival. It's dead on arrival. And by the way, don't get too excited about the military spending increase. It's a 3.8% increase. Yes, on a dollar basis, it's the biggest, but it's not even close to what we've increased spending before, especially during the Cold War in the 80s. So on a percentage basis, it's not that big of a jump. But on a dollar basis, of course, it's huge. You know, I'm I'm one of the people who takes a look at the idea that he's at least recognized and maybe some Democrats have recognized that we are on a war footing when we talk about uh, China and their and their aggression and their their stealing of, of intellectual property. So I am pleased by this, like I'm pleased about the sale of submarines to Australia and the possibility of building submarines also in Australia, which is is easier than to deploy to the areas where it's going to be needed. So I'm I'm. I'm happy uh, in a sense that he, he's at least thinking about these things. I, I, what can I say? I'm a glass half full kind of guy. But in your take, if this is dead on arrival, why in the world would the markets respond with such negativity? Well, because, Tony, this is what he is fighting for. And so the, the market, remember, the market is very short-sighted. So they see the proposal, they react to the proposal. They'll calm down. They'll calm down. And if no other bad news comes out, today will be more mild. Today will be a day where probably the market might even go up. But no, they react to what they see, Tony. And they see this, they read this, and said this is a disaster. Hopefully it doesn't pass. Now, my dead on arrival is a guess. I'm not the political science expert. I would defer to you on whether this thing has any. It's dead on arrival. 
but the idea okay. that he's pushing it means how they're going to utilize this as an attack vehicle heading into 2024. Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis, safe travels to you uh, there, and uh, we'll talk to you when you return. I appreciate it. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. Thank goodness masks and lockdowns work, because how else could Gavin Newsom be protected from COVID? Oh, wait, he got COVID? Never mind. Forget I said anything. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Gavin Newsom, according to the reporting, test positive for COVID-19 after returning from a personal trip. I, I don't know what the personal trip is. The man can have personal trips. I'm not... I'm not against these kinds of things. I am pro-personal trips. I'm not pro-Gavin Newsom. He's awful. I mean, on a scale of one to absolute garbage. As a governor, and I would argue as a person, based on what I know of him, he's got it. Now, I don't know, maybe he's a good dad, good husband. I don't get to have any say in that whatsoever. But looking at how he treats people, looking at how he engages uh, as governor, how he treats the citizens of California, the things that he's focused on, nah, but that he got COVID, and I don't wish COVID on anybody. It's that, can we please just accept the fact that sometimes you'll get COVID and you'll move on with your day and everything will be fine. If you're infirm, if you have real comorbidities, if you have uh, immunosuppression issues, well, yeah, that could be a problem. But so could everything else. For the vast majority of everyday folk, that's what they call themselves. They call themselves the everyday folk. Uh, it's, it's, it's all okay. It's all okay. Take some cold medicine. Feel better. And uh, it might take a day. It might take two days. It might take a week. It might take two weeks. You'll be okay. Find everything. TonyCats.locals.com. Monday, everyone. Take care.